You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. London used to be the largest financial center of the European Union and everybody liked it. Today, London is the largest financial center of the United Kingdom with global ambitions that are in the making. Your next boss, Stefan Bujnader, reflecting on how he no longer sees London as Europe's financial centre. Yes, exactly. And the boss of the Paris Exchange, also Amsterdam, Dublin. I mean, I guess he would say that perhaps, he wouldn't he? You know, from his side of the channel. But this is a story we've been looking at a lot, haven't we, Francine? You know, this slipping of London's status as the share capital of Europe. Yeah, and, and by number of, of course, transactions, so number of shares, London's still the highest. Right, so it's a good debate on. to have clinging on right but, <laughs> and you know, thriving but the trend is clear isn't it i mean i think and we, we'll hear it from stefan right and i think when it comes to the companies that are doing well the share listings that are being attracted to the continent london's not looking so great i'm francine lacqua and i'm david merritt and this is in the city bloomberg's podcast connecting you to the stories and the voices at the heart of the city of london So this week, we're going to have some more reflections on London's future as a financial powerhouse post-Brexit. And it's top of mind this week as we expect to hear from City Minister Andrew Griffith on the government's packages to boost the UK's financial services industry. And we'll also be bringing in our favourite finance editor and head of City of London coverage, Bloomberg's very own Tom Metcalf, to discuss. But first, more from our conversation with the Euronext Chief Executive, Stefan Bujna. You know, the story that really caught fire in London the last few weeks was this startling fact of the French stock market outpacing Britain's in terms of market capitalization. that kind of that chart crossing. It really caught people's attention here. How does that feel for you sitting uh, in your role running Euronex now, watching the markets in the European Union overtake London? Um, do you see that trend continuing? How does that feel? Let me put that fact in perspective. What this fact that uh, Bloomberg uh, related extensively is three things. Number one, yes, this is the indication of um, of a, the impact of Brexit. Companies that would have remained listed uh, uh, in London uh, have left London, like Ryanair that moved to Euronex Dublin. Companies that would have moved uh, to London to be listed there, like Universal Music Group from the US decided to list at Euronext Amsterdam, or, or, or all funds from Spain and London decided to, to be listed in Euronext Amsterdam. Brexit has consequences. The second thing that uh, this information tells is that the aggregate market capitalizations of the blue chip companies listed in Paris 
has significantly uh, increased over the past few years because of of their global uh, footprint and their global successes in energy, the luxury brand, luxury, in luxury, in the construction materials, in banking, etc. The third thing that this information tells is that in parallel to Brexit, an alternative platform was created within the European continent. And I want to insist on that. The relevant metric is not the aggregate market capitalization of the companies listed in Paris, because Paris is just one of the gateways to get access to the markets where European companies are traded. And the trading volumes in the single liquidity pool of the European markets of Euronext, of the single order book of the European markets of Euronext, is about 12 to 13 billion per day, which compares to six to seven billion per day in London. So what is important is to compare the trading markets, not the listing venue. Following Brexit, do you think Paris is undeniably a more attractive place to have a share listing than London? I think so. I think so, like other places in in Europe, like Amsterdam, for example, which has attracted even more international listings than Paris. But I think so. Anyone who wants to list in Europe uh, 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 must list in a European venue, which is integrated, which is the Euronext market. And one of the access way to this European market is, is Paris. So spinning it out just from the stock market, then I know that is your specific role, of course, of Yonex. But you know, London's lost its crown in terms of market cap to Paris, and the and the shared trading volumes also added together in Europe are beating London and the, and the new listings. London still dominates in areas including foreign exchange, but do you see some of these things eroding as well? I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is that ultimate prize of being Europe's financial capital, do you see London and the city ultimately under threat? I don't know. What I do know is that the closer you get to corporates and real economy, the more complicated it is. The closer you get to global markets, the easier it is for a global platform. London used to be uh, the largest financial center of the European Union for every asset class. Now, London is the largest financial center of the United Kingdom and a financial center with global ambitions. You can uh, implement global ambitions in asset classes like Forex, for sure. And and I don't know what is going to be the future. The missing part in 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 the in the answer to your question is is what is going to be the uh, the equilibrium of the regulatory debate in 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 in, in the UK? How yes. fast the divergence with the the existing uh, regulatory environment will happen? Does Global Brinton mean a fundamental divergence with the way uh, financial markets are regulated in the European Union or not? And unless you do know the answer to that question, it's very difficult to foresee anything. Yeah, but, the, you know, the, the regulations remain aligned, right, Stefan? I think as things stand, it's really not the regulations, it's the politics, isn't it? Because the European Union has made a decision to not grant equivalents to London on the same status as it could have done, you know, as it as it does with the United States. On the British side, I think they've asked for equivalence whilst regulations remain aligned and it's not been given. So what's the incentive for London to stay aligned? I mean, I think, you know, if, if Brussels wants to punish the London market for Brexit, it's doing that already, is it not? And I think, uh, therefore, you know, people in the city might argue the only option is to is to deregulate. We've got to take some sort of advantages from Brexit. And I, it, that's because of the political decision in Brussels, isn't it? I disagree. I, I don't think uh, the, this, these are the terms of the debates. I mean, uh, 
my point is that the UK can decide to go whatever they want. I mean, uh, the UK has decided to leave the European Union, not the other way around. A decision has been taken, which is a sort of meta-fragmentation decision. And fundamentally, you can't have the cake and eat it. You can decide to be outside the regulatory framework and continue to have the same access. There is no question of punishing or anything else. It's either you are in or you are out. And, and that's, that's, that's the only thing that, uh, that happened. So my point is that I heavily respect Brexit and we all have to respect Brexit, but we don't have to bear it. And that's, that's exactly the point. But Stefan and David and I have have been talking about this in a number of podcasts, is that actually maybe the timing is not on the government side, it's not on the regulator side. At the time, they were thinking of a Singapore on Thames, which also has concerns, but it's something that the UK could implement longer term if there wasn't all of these headwinds coming from abroad. But if we just also change tack a little bit, when you were a junior banker in London, you saw, I guess, the, the might and power of the city of London. Do you think that will change because of Brexit and the need of passports from EU citizens to, to come to London? Fundamentally believe that the most damaging consequences and the most lasting uh, the risk or consequence is related to the restrictions on the movement of people. And when it comes to finance, it's clear that when uh, you need now a passport and not anymore just an ID to get into the UK, when you need a work permit to do your internship or to get your first job in London, you uh, we all observe that there is a sort of drying up of an evaporation of of this what used to be a sort of regular flows of thousands, maybe tens of thousands of young Europeans coming after graduation to get yeah, their first job in London, in finance, in law, in accounting, uh, in private equity. This, this is diminishing massively. So after five or 10 years of, of quasi-professional generations of, of people that not doing their internships, their first jobs in London, there will be some fundamental change in mutual understanding. And I find that extremely sad because when I, I was young and slim, I, I used to uh, work for a large uh, international bank in London and I had to do my FSA uh, test. I, I studied extensively all the details of the, of, of, of the trading of, of, of UK guilds and, 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 and stock exchange settlement rules, all these things that are fascinating. But I became part of the UK-minded uh, financial community. And you're, and that is now dying out, do you think? I mean, where are the young up-and-coming generation in Paris now going? Or are they staying put to learn their trade right where they are? That's a very interesting question. We are in a situation where we have distributed, integrated, uh, interconnected uh, financial centres in Amsterdam, Paris, Milan, uh, where where people go and get training in international banks. I mean, the the way the large international banks have, have settled massive operations now in Paris, Amsterdam, etc., is and offering exactly the same type of internship as they were offering in the in the previous days in London is a new reality. But, but Stefan, certainly that is just a transition period, right? Maybe things will change. I mean, I don't believe that a Barclays or a Credit Suisse or any other investment bank won't want, you know, bright young minds coming to London. I mean, you have visa, you can come here as a student. Again, I don't know whether it's transition or not. It's You, you put me in a very complicated situation <laughs> because I'm, I'm, I'm a citizen of the European Union. I'm not a citizen of the UK. So I can't comment. I heavily respect the vibrant British democracy. I'm trying to read what's going on. I'm sharing with you 
my intuition that above and beyond what is uh, uh, published in uh, on web pages and so on about the day-to-day developments of financial markets, I believe that on the long run, when circulation of people is more complicated, when you need to inject more energy to go somewhere, when it's not anymore the natural obvious place to go, this will have more lasting consequences than anything else. And that's what I, I just want to, to highlight. And, and in my view, it's, it's unfortunate. Is it changing Paris as well? Uh, just some of the, you know, we, we've seen the stories about the jobs being created in, fa- in finance in Paris, the markets growing, um, the talent that's staying there. Is it changing the fabric of the city and the, and the, and the dynamic? Is Paris becoming more of a buzzing financial capital than it used to be? Difficult to say. I think it is starting to do so. But my feeling is that the driver of expansion of uh, financial teams in Paris will be international U.S. banks because they move quickly. And when they move, they move big. What, what, what I find very interesting is that they started with a few tens and a few hundred people. And now they are, they are hiring uh, uh, thousands of people and they are renting uh, uh, not not floors, but but buildings to expand their operations here. So I think it's going to start uh, having an impact in the price of restaurants and the price of real estate. Yeah, when you look at equity market volatility in 2023, are you expecting it to be as I guess violent or interesting as it was in 2022? And does that just give business? How much more business will your next have because of that? I think uh, equity will be back. Uh, because every company now that the cost of debt is increasing has to revisit very seriously uh, balance sheet. Balance sheet is back in the map. Um, there was a time uh, where, where, where uh, debt was was not an issue. Uh, debt is is getting more expensive. Therefore, the balance between own funds and equities and, and and debt financing is is back in the map. And I believe that that will create more opportunities for capital increases for IPOs. Also, some players who were looking for liquidity through MA are realizing that the number of buyers uh, through uh, MA is is less large than it used to be because because access to debt financing for acquisition is less available than it used to be. Therefore, I I'm strictly absolutely convinced for both for, for raising equity and also for um for for liquidity purpose, stock exchanges uh, and and equity markets will become more relevant than they have been in the in the recent years. So you're pretty bullish on next year then, I mean, right? You know, I mean, pretty bleak economic news around the world, but it sounds like you feel next year could be a great year for share sales on Euronext. Absolutely. Stefan, thank you so much. Stefan Bujna, they're the Euronext Chief Executive. Thank you. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. 
So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. And we're now joined by Tom Metcalf, who runs all of our finance coverage here in London. Hi, Tom. Hi, Tom. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. Dave, we had we had this conversation with uh, the Euronext chief executive. I thought it was quite heartfelt. I mean, he was really... He seemed quite depressed about, well, not about his own job, because obviously things are going well there, but about Britain. Or the, yeah. There was a sort of lament for the lost generation, Tom, of people who hadn't, you know, the, the, the aspiring youth of Europe who are no longer coming and cutting their teeth in the city. Yeah, he was kind of reminiscing about when he was a young banker in London, probably in the you know nineties or eighties, and where he he, uh, he mentioned several times that he understood the, the guilt market right. and how because of Brexit, less students, less you know junior bankers will come here. Yeah, absolutely, and that is you know a big part of it is the people story almost. You know the fact that you know over a few decades, really, London was the place where a lot of the the sort of young talent in finance would inevitably come. Do you think that's really changed, though? I mean, I just, uh, I feel like the streets are still teeming with people coming from all around. And the immigration numbers we've just seen, right, are a record net migration, 500,000 people. Right? They might not be as many balanced towards the European Union, but they're still flocking here from around the world, aren't they? Yeah, I think it's that. It's not as now tilted as it was to the EU, because it was obviously so so easy for um, banks and firms to move for folk from the continent here. Uh, but instead, you are seeing, you know, being replaced by people coming from, you know, all over the world, Brazil, uh, you know, America, of course, as always, um, and, and Asia. So, you know, I think London's still got that kind of melting pot thing, which makes it so special. But um, it's understandable why someone like Stefan might be lamenting. Uh, yeah. And maybe it is harder because you used to be able to come with an identity card, right, right, that the French, the Italians, the Germans have, and now you have to get a passport. But I I mean, I have anecdotally so many friends and family that want to come here and and learn English. So what's, I mean, what does it mean for for the city of London, Tom? Do they still, I mean, do do the Black Rocks and asset managers still want those European junior bankers? Yeah, I think so. I think the most compelling data point I've seen is before Brexit, you had about 84% of Europe's fixed income traders in the city, and that has dropped, but only to 78%. So London is still this gigantic beast, still you know one of the great financial centres. I don't think there's any risk of that. You know, when you do speak to those CEOs, you know, it's not like they're like we're pulling out of London. It's more like well, we do have other options, and perhaps on the margins or at some levels, we'll. Because they can see, you know, there's things. just a it's an admin problem, isn't it? I mean, you've just got to, you've got to apply for a visa, but Britain is granting lots of visas for these. It's not like the shutters have come down completely. There's just a, It's like anyone from here who wants to go and do an internship in New York, right? You've just exactly, got to jump yeah. through some hoops to do it rather than get on the train. 
Yeah, so I think in individual cases, you know, it might be tougher for people from from the continent, but it's it's not like it's become impossible. It's more, you know, if your company's backing you, uh, it's it's still definitely feasible. So that's why, you know, difficult to tell during COVID, but certainly we were walking around now. I was actually going around the city trying to book a place for some Christmas drinks, and there is impossible, impossible no, right? It's impossible. <laughs> impossible. Yeah, everywhere is full. I'm, I'm a December baby. It's impossible. I always have to celebrate <laughs> no birthday. my birthday in January. It's okay. Still go big, but it's Proud always in January. Tom, when you look at, and, and Tom saves me on TV because he comes on and we always talk about bonuses and the fact that the big banks, not only European ones, but the global Wall Street ones with a footprint in London are cutting bonuses. How worried are they about 2023? Yeah, I think the mood is darkening. So this week we had a lot of the big name CEOs effectively coming out and saying, hey, you know, you know, kind of downsize your expectations, bankers. We had Goldman yesterday, right? Bloomberg exclusive. Exactly. Telling uh, Bloomberg Television, out. yeah, that um, it's going to be a, a rough year. If you're running a big financial services firm, I think you have to assume that we have some bumpy times ahead. We could see a recession in 2023 also. And so I think you've got to be cautious and prepare. No, no, exactly. So you had Solomon, you also had the Bank of America giving a slightly more nuanced uh, approach. And then, of course, the news that Morgan Stanley is cutting globally 1,600 workers. So I think that just gives a sense of, you know, finance, even during the pandemic, was booming. I mean, we'll put that Morgan Stanley cut in context. They're cutting 1,600 they went from 60,000 to 80,000 over the past couple of years. So this is all coming from a huge expansion position of strength. But the sentiment has changed. And, you know, it's interesting. We've spent the last couple of years talking about, you know, this sort of battle for talent. Now it is, at least, you know, expect the executive to say this is, you know what, we think the shoe's on the other foot. We can be a bit more selective. We don't need to, you know, we can clamp down a bit on sort of unfaith- less favoured, so we say, behaviours like working from home. Yeah, less favored favored. behaviors Mm. like working from home. I had the scathing interview actually with Nouriel Roubini, who was saying he he, loves London. He sees the potential for the city of London not changing that much. But he also said it's completely far-fetched that the UK at this moment in time can deviate in, you know, for regulation with the EU. I think the idea that you're going to cut regulations is totally far-fetched. If you want to have access, even with a free trade area, let alone a custom union to the European market, you need to maintain the same regulation. Is that true? Yeah, and I think that's the kind of the reality that's set in for the UK government. So we heard, you know, a couple of months ago, there's going to be this big bang. We'll see this big Brexit dividend. Instead, what we're expecting on Friday is, I think, what's now being described as the Edinburgh reforms, uh, where... I love that. That's yeah. a brilliantly sort of nondescript. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot packed in there. There's a couple of things. One is not big bang, because I think they've realised they're going to get so much opposition to this, you know, from anyone kind of from mainstream finance. No one is saying burn down these regulations. So there's going to be limited sort of... I mean, they were designed things. mostly, uh, largely, by Britain anyway, right? So it wasn't like the square mile was ignored throughout this. No, that's the irony is it's not like, you know, we were kind of, you know, leading the EU in terms of financial regulation. And uh, now what the EU is doing is is actually reversing some regulation that the City of London was keen for, MIFID too. So it's... it's, uh, So we'll learn this week what exactly those are. I mean, we talked in the podcast, you know, just in recent weeks about this, about what might come. And there was this feeling that maybe the big bang was going to be a bit of a little whimper uh now it's the what is it the edinburgh yeah the edinburgh reforms yeah right, no, i so, think more of a whimper is probably it's certainly the sense we're getting maybe they'll pull a rabbit out of the hat on friday but right now it's a lot of stuff which you know frankly a could have been done with or without brexit uh and b 
you know, it's not going to put the City of London on a completely different path. And yet, and yet you know, the European side, I mean, we just heard Francie and I just been talking to, to the CEO of Euronex. I mean, he, keep, he kept coming back to this point that it's all about the regulatory divergence. You know, it's up to the UK. If they, if they decide to diverge a lot from the EU, they can expect more business, more financial services to have to flow back to the European Union. So... I mean, it is important, isn't it? Like, how much the rules are going to differ? No, no, absolutely. And so you had Andrew Griffith, the city minister, coming out and saying, this is not divergence for divergence sake. So it's going to be very selective. And, you know, I find it interesting someone um, on the EU side is saying that because that's the whole point is if the UK had drastically diverged, I think, you know, it's much clearer why, for example, the EU wouldn't allow clearing, which is a big sort of body of business. Um, Instead, basically, the, the EU, from as soon as, Britain left, where the rules were identical, of course, because you know none of the rules had changed. Did did not basically give um, kind of equivalence on any part of financial services apart from clearing, and is cut and clearing from 2025. So I think there's a big political angle to this. Well, political, but also when you look at clearing, and please, listeners, stay with us because Tom <laughs> yes. will explain what clearing is. There, there's yeah, a problem yeah. also of of you know fragmentation. That actually, if you don't keep in London, then clearing you just don't have enough pool of liquidity because it's going to be here a little bit here, a little bit there. And so you don't have that that kind of mass of of yeah. funds that you need. It's a volume game. So so best way to describe clearing is, I suppose, you know, it, lots of different trades going on between different people, and effectively to make sure you know those trades go through, you need to put some portion of the value of the trade with a central clearing party. So if everything goes wrong, there's some way you can reclaim the money. And the reason it's more efficient to do it in one space is because let's say a bank does you know who knows thousands of trades a day, it can of course offset you know comparable trades from each other so if everything's doing it in one venue which used to be lch which is part of the london stock exchange then hey that was hyper efficient what's happening now is you know you might need to do some trades in the eu some in london and you cannot offset those so your costs go up and guess what happens most people decide you know what well let's move to new york where you know it's back it's a bit like london was is it about trust because if you trust the other party then i mean what's the point in giving business to new york would they rather give it to New York than have it in London, which is still a closer partner? Yeah, it's it's, and that's why I go back to the political thing because there's no real sense to it. If they're comfortable doing these kind of trades with New York, then why uh, wouldn't they allow them to do it in London? So I think that's probably the big question for me: is do these regulations are they kind of, you know, globally applicable, or is it just just to London? Um, so that would be very interesting to see how that shakes out. And as it, with all this stuff, the you know the time frame is till 2025. So we've got to sit around here, opining, wondering, uh, and, and see what happens. I mean, I asked, I asked Stefan um, about, you know, the stock market, obviously, with Paris overtaking. We've all talked about this a lot in the last few weeks, the, the market cap in Paris overtaking London for the first time. And whether or not we're going to see the same in other markets, you know, obviously the dominance of London in, in Forex, we've just talked about clearing. Does the stock market matter that much? I mean, the bigger volumes are in places like uh, foreign exchange. Where do you see the trends there going in terms of London versus the financial capitals in the EU? Yeah, well, to your first question, does the stock exchange matter? Not on sort of um, money coming in, etc. But from a symbolic point of view, it really does. And it, it does have some impact. And I think, you know, whereas London used to just dominate European equity markets, you know, now there's a lot in Amsterdam, there's a lot in Paris and, and Milan, and, you know, he, Euronext has got exchanges in all those places. And I think it will just be this again, this sort of drip drip effect of oh, there's a little bit more in Europe so you know we should put more traders there or should do more IPOs there as you've seen with Amsterdam um, and but then on the FX thing that is a very different piece so A that is critical business um, that is 
one of the big reasons why London is, you know, the world's international financial centre, and its lead there is is huge. So you don't see that being chipped away. I mean, and there's nothing it, really the EU can do about that, right? There's nothing. Not it's really not clear because a bit like with the clearing thing everyone wants to be in one big liquid place and so you know it does feel to me like a duopoly between new york and london you know it will change but on the margins and probably those trader numbers is a good guide you know london was 84 percent now 78 it's going to be that kind of shift i think at least in the, the near future thank you tom Thanks for listening to this week's In the City. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, if you like our show, please head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review and subscribe. This episode was hosted by me, Francine Lacroix. And me, David Merritt. It was produced by Summer Sadi. Editing and sound design by Blake Maples. Special thanks to Stefan Bujna, Carolyn Conan and Tom Metcalf. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.